Beyond the cracked sidewalk, and the telephone pole with layers of flyers in a rainbow of colours, and the patch of dry brown grass, there stood a ten-foot-high concrete block wall, caked with dozens of coats of paint. There was a small shrine at the foot of it, with burnt-out candles and dead flowers, and a few soggy teddy bears. One word of graffiti filled the wall, red letters on a gold background. Rejoice. Ira stood facing the wall. He was dressed in red spandex-fibred garments, in the stagnant sultry air, in the shantytown section of Hauptstadt. He carried a brown shoulder bag. He started his ritual by bowing his head for a minute of silence, then took out a fresh teddy bear from his bag and sat it next to the others. He took out a brand new white candle and a bottle of rum. He lit the candle and poured the rum around it. For those who are not among us, he whispered gently. As he reached once again into his bag, Parker, dressed in a bright yellow sleeveless one-piece shally garment, walked up to the wall and placed fresh flowers a few feet away. You! he yelled. Parker ignored him, fell to her knees and prayed. You caused his demise, he said as he pointed his finger at her. You! Parker stood up, threw her crew-cut brunette-haired head back, and did not respond to his accusations. She had returned to the wall from whence she came, with tears in her eyes. The laying of flowers and prayer at the scene of the crime was her ritual. Once she finished her prayers, she walked away as swiftly as she could. Ira's six-foot-four-inches, two-hundred-fifty-pound body caught up to her, His ebony-elongated hand grabbed her slender ivory arm and swung her round. They were face to face and eyeball to eyeball. His almond eyes scrutinised her through its nictitating membrane. His forked tongue began to spew out his words. It's because of you I wake up in mourning. It's because of you. You knew what we were, and you deliberately betrayed us for your selfish cause. His demeanour turned deadly frightening when he noticed the blankness in her owl eyes. It was obvious that he had yelled out his frustrations to a mass of indifference. Parker jerked away and began to continue her journey through the garbage-strewed streets of Shantytown. Ira followed the six-foot, one-hundred-and-thirty-pound woman. He kept flicking his forked tongue out into the air, circling his mouth. His attempts failed to taste her pheromones. He wasn't able to gauge who and what this thing was in front of him. To his discourse, her pheromones revealed nothing. It was as if she was a walking corpse. He began to taunt her. It was his only defence to get her to admit her crime. You knew what we were, he said, with his hot breath now steaming down her neck. 
he wouldn't let up even though the shantytown natives were beginning to come out of their dwellings for the day. He wanted to humiliate her in front of them. He growled at her like a wild, deranged carnivore. You loved a common criminal, a murderer, a double agent. You betrayed him. You caused his demise because you were bent on rejoice. You loved him, and yet you killed him. Shut up! She yelled at him as she turned in haste to face her accuser. I did what was necessary at the time. He believed in you. He trusted you. He would have done anything for you. Except that... She snapped back in response. You wanted him to go against his nature. I wanted him to love me the way I loved him. She cried as she turned to leave. Stabbing him in the back and twisting the knife in deep was your way of loving him. The confrontation couldn't wane. She gave in and allowed the medulla part of her brain to snap into action. She swung her lean body around, ready for battle. Fuck you, Ira! She pierced his tympanic membrane as the white frothing of her mouth rained onto the filthy sidewalk. You're not innocent in his demise. You loved him too, bounty hunter. Iris smiled in delight to be combating the thorn in the side of the Hauptstadt citizens. But it was you who betrayed him, not I. I had no choice. I was being followed. I was being tracked. I was under orders. He was the target. I couldn't save him if I wanted to, so I spared him the horror of torture. I spared him the humiliation of the Hauptstadt citizens. I did it because I loved him. You did it to keep him away from me. You were going to betray him sooner or later, bounty hunter. You didn't know that, assassin, said her accuser. They were now on the centre stage of the shantytown as the residents surrounded them. We were hermaphrodites. We loved what we were, and I respected that. Iris started. But you wanted the bounty on his head. You were just waiting for the right situation. You bastard! She interrupted him. She spat her green slime into his flat face. Lucky for him, his skin was tough enough to prevent the hideous secretion from eating its way to his flesh. As he wiped away her residue, Parker prepared herself for another spat. Ira's lightning speed backhanded her across the face and sent her flying into the crowd that cushioned her fall to the sidewalk. Like a grasshopper, he jumped on top of her, choking her. He used his long, thick fingernails to pierce into her throat and bored a hole. He stood up and watched the yellowish-green fluid escape from the opening. All of the watchers flew the scene. Ira, in his disgust, vomited all over Parker's mute body and walked away, leaving her for dead. The shantytown folks returned and surrounded Parker. In the far distance, they heard sirens. They all scattered back into their shacks in hiding. Identical twin kids, 
left the safety of their homemade pizza shop to help Parker. One twin went for his motorcycle while the other inspected Parker's injuries. His prognosis was that she could be salvaged. He ran into their pizza shack and returned with a hand filled with pizza dough. He used the dough to plug the hole in her neck. He compressed it into her wound. They waited until the escaping fluid stopped. One twin lifted Parker and placed her in the motorcycle's hitch carrier as the other twin rode away with her. By this time, the Hauptstadt enforcers were on the scene. A seven-foot muscular amber-furred male and a six-foot and seven-inches charcoal-haired fish-skinned male, both were bald and dressed in their Hauptstadt uniforms, exited the gravity pulsator vehicle. They took their sensors and scanned the area. No need for that, said the taller of the two men, as he sniffed out the area with his flat nose. He pointed to a spot where Parker's fluid had pooled onto the sidewalk. The other man took out his hologram communicator from his utility belt. Within seconds, a hologram of a similar-looking male appeared above the communicator. Yeah, screeched the hologram. We don't have the unit. We found liquid remains of a unit, but no physical remains. We suspect that the remains were taken by the natives. Halt mich auf dem Laufenden, replied the hologram as it vanished. He placed the communicator back onto his utility belt and returned to their vehicle. What use could they get from remains? asked the taller enforcer. Body parts, then grind the rest up for food to sell to the citizens of Hauptstadt as a delicacy. The two males laughed as they climbed into their vehicle and drove away with the sirens blaring. As soon as the enforcer vehicle was out of sight, the lone twin came out of his pizza shack with his motorcycle. As he mounted the bike, a slender pale female ran up to him. Corey, where are you going? she asked. Nowhere, he answered as he began to ride off, but she blocked his way. That is not acceptable. You will become a common criminal if they suspect you are harboring an assassin, she warned. My brother and I aren't doing anything illegal, he replied. That is just another way of saying you're anti-Hauptstadt. And they will hunt you and enslave you, or they may spare you from torturing you by eliminating you. She fondled his face with her milky hands. I don't want to see you or your brother hurt. It will sadden me, she cried. He removed her hands from his face. You are an android. Don't forget that. And with that, he rode away. Corey was heading for the secret hideaway garage he owned with his twin brother. As he sped up the streets of the shantytown, he felt a presence shadowing him. He was approaching the highway garage. He abruptly stopped. He waited for the presence to reveal itself. Hello there, Gumpel, said the masculine voice as it uncloaked itself behind him, riding an anti-gravity cycle. Hermaphrodite, why are you cloaked and following me? asked Corey. I watched your twin ride away with the assassin. Let's make a deal, he smiled. At what price? One thousand Mauser, 
That is a lot for an assassin. Their lives are worthless, Corey informed him. There are Harpstadt dwellers who will pay for the body parts, and you know how they love filet mignon. Corey said nothing and proceeded on his way to the hideaway garage with the hermaphrodite following. When the ride ended, she was lifted again. The kid slid her body onto a soft pile of clothing among the boxes in the garage. He pulled an old coat over the top, creating a cave that emanated the sweetness of old ladies who frequently powdered themselves, a light rose motif that played ironically well in the deep recesses of Rainbow's ancestral brain. The pizza kid lifted her head to help her lap water from a hubcap. He broke bits of pepperoni and crust into bite-sized pieces and left them where her tongue could reach them. Much later, she heard him practicing oration-like songs. Like monks chanting in the distance, they were a comfort. As Cory and the hermaphrodite rode up to the hideaway, they noticed Cory's twin sitting on the sidewalk, cross-legged in a meditative position, on the side of the dilapidated garage. He had his eyes closed and was singing. Ace, what are you doing? asked Corey as they stopped in front of him. Celebrating, Ace replied as he opened his almond eyes with a happy face. Who were you singing to? The unit? laughed the hermaphrodite. Ace got up from his sitting position. His face immediately became enraged and stared at his brother. What is he doing here? Ace asked. Where is the unit? asked the hermaphrodite as he handed Corey the pouch of money. What have you done? demanded Ace. In the garage, said Corey as he stuffed the pouch in his garment's pockets. The hermaphrodite got off his anti-gravity cycle, grabbed the large grey backpack and entered the garage. Ace approached his brother with fury. Why, Corey? Why? he asked. Corey took the pouch of money from his pocket and shoved it in his brother's face. This will hold us for a month. I am tired of struggling, Ace, and so are you. That's blood money. I don't want it, exclaimed Ace. It's a unit, laughed his brother. Meditating won't make it a biological entity. It was made to assassinate anything that goes against the citizens of Hauptstadt. It's a damned unit yelled Corey as he returned to his motorcycle as he returned the money pouch into his pocket and rode back to their pizza shack. Ace gave one sad look at the garage, then followed his brother back home. The hermaphrodite crept his way into the dark garage. He used his flat nose to sniff out the unit. He sensed he was being scanned. Before he could react to her scent, Parker had jumped onto his back, which kept him off balance. The seven-foot-five-inch bronze hulk bucked like a wild horse to evict the chalky-coated unit from his back. Parker held on by burying her steel fingernails into his hairy-covered husk. She was losing the battle, since Hermaphrodite's dark skin did not yield to her nails. He wrenched his back into a large hump and dislodged Parker's grip sending her flying into the garage wall. At lightning speed he was on her. 
he lifted her face up. One of his prolonged metacarpals held her chin like a vice, as the other had its elongated phalanges around her waist. Before Parker could react to her situation, the hermaphrodite quickly raised her body above his head, then abruptly slammed her down as he knelt, cracking her neck and back on one bended knee. After he checked her for any signs of brain activity, he began to dissect her. He first cut the inferior vena cava vein to drain the fluid from the body. He took out large pouches, scalpels, screwdrivers and tweezers. He lifted her by her feet, shaking her to drain all her fluid onto the garage floor. Then he cracked open her skull and took out her central nervous system connected to her CPU. The hermaphrodite was so enthralled with his by that he never noticed the coming of celebration. He steadfastly disconnected all the vital organs, making sure that they did not get contaminated by the corpse's fluids. He placed the organs in special made pouches that preserved them for no more than three days, which was plenty of time to sell them and have them installed in a rich client. Hauptstadt existed in a mammoth cave. The inhabitants built a domed biosphere from the entrance of the cave, stretched out to 400 square miles into the desert. The purpose of the domed environment was to allow outside recreation for the Hauptstadt inhabitants. As the sun faded into the western horizon, the newly formed red dwarf star rose in the east. Hauptstadt opened the dome to allow the star's rouge light radiated onto the surface. The condensation from the biosphere heat-formed rain clouds above the interior. When the clouds became saturated, they burst and crimson droplets flooded the area. The ground underneath the dome became alive with sugar beets, popping their heads up from their sleep. The multitude from the city encroached upon the land called Shantytown. They danced naked in rejoicing the nourishment of the rain in fields of sugar beets. The twins and the Shantytown natives stayed hidden in their shacks and away from the maddening crowd of revellers. Corey sat in his candlelit room counting his bounty, while Ace sat in meditation listening to the rejoicing of the rain. Their lives were still in constant flux, part of the city but not a city dweller. They were too poor to live there and too rich to be considered a native of Shantytown. There was a knock at the door. It was still pouring rain outside. The twins were astounded that anyone would be looking for pizzas during the celebration and besides they haven't even started making them yet. Ace broke his meditation and answered the door. Corey followed him. They opened the door to a drenched hermaphrodite, dragging something in his hands. He stood in their doorway naked. The red raindrops were glistening in his thick, hairy body. The aroma of Kalitas emanated from the gatherers of the celebrations. Here, he said as he threw the thing in their doorway. See what your rejoicing can do for it now. He laughed like a madman in the rain shower. He disappeared into the crowded shantytown revellers. 
The twins quickly dragged the thing in the shack and shut the door. After carefully reviewing the object, they realized it was a CPU with a spinal cord and nervous system attached to it. Parker! Ace exclaimed. You mean the unit, corrected Corey. Whatever you want to call it, Corey, but it has consciousness, Ace said as he dried off the mechanism. Of course, once you fire up its CPU, it will have consciousness. There's more to it than that, Corey. Ace took the thing to their work area near the kitchen. He diligently repaired the spinal cord and fashioned a new nervous system using old fiber optic wires. Then he used pizza dough to construct a physical body. Instead of legs, he gave it wheels. Instead of eyes, he gave it motion sensors and scanning abilities. He was about to install the power source to the unit when Corey interrupted him. Be careful, my brother. You may not like what you find, Corey said. This unit was created to grow body parts, to be harvested, and programmed to eliminate any entity that goes against the citizens of Hauptstadt. And with that, he returned to the kitchen. He was preparing pizzas for the celebrants. They came after every celebration for their pizzas before heading back to the city. I will program you to love, Ace said to the unit. He fashioned female features to its new head. He decided to place the power source in the base of its skull into the anatomical heart position. He had set it up to his remote control console. When he turned the unit on, it immediately tried to escape the shack by way of the front door. Where are you going? he asked. Oh, I forgot to put in a voice box, he laughed. He opened the door. The rain had stopped. To his amazement, the unit wheeled itself through the crowd, avoiding bumping into anyone. It was going so fast that he had a difficult time keeping pace. Then it came to a complete stop at a ten-foot-high concrete block wall, caked with dozens of coats of paint. A small shrine was at the foot of the wall, one wet, unlit, white candle, flowers dripping from the rain, and a soggy teddy bear. One word of graffiti filled the wall, red letters on a gold background. Rejoice! Ira scanned the domed biosphere for rebels with his crew in their spacecraft. He recorded the incident in the captain's log. Star date 2052.46. The riots of Harpstadt were sparked by the death of the rebel from the plebs colony, Judas Priest, on Phobos, and have been put down. There were many arrests and many casualties. Hauptstadt enforcers got everything under control. We have encountered and captured six of the assassins. The seventh died in a confrontation in the shantytown district of the city. We are now scanning the surface for any more plebs rebels. The struggle continues in the reptilian empire. May we rejoice in our glory.